Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Winning the Nations League, winning the Gold Cup, none of that means diddly squat now. It's sink or swim time for Greg Berhalter's boys as the 2022 World Cup qualification campaign begins in earnest this week with three tricky games, beginning with a trip to Estadio Coscatlan to take on El Salvador on Thursday, which you can stream live and exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. I'm your host, alongside Jimmy Conrad, and we are talking CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, baby! Kegelasso begins right now. Thank you everyone for listening. This show couldn't exist without your support. So please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you follow, like, subscribe to Kegelasso wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review and make sure you follow our YouTube page. Check that little bell thing on top. So anytime a video goes up, you get to watch it first. And uh, Jimmy Conrad, welcome. Welcome. I can barely Hi. see your face, but uh, you know. Welcome. I'm here. I'm here representing the U.S. men's national team, or I used to, and now I'm a has-been. I'm officially a has-been Heath Pierce, but what a lifetime of experiences I've had playing for the team. And I say that because we're going up against El Salvador on the road in CONCACAF. There's a lot of naysayers out there, a lot of Euro snobs like, oh, CONCACAF's so easy. Anybody can qualify. You know what? Then you come over here with your stupid European team and come make it happen. <laughs> hey, it's not Jimmy. that easy. Hey, Jimmy, I'm going to change my profile from like husband, father to has been father, <laughs> you know, son, uh, because I'm, I'm right there with you. But listen, I was I was to go off from the top for, for El Salvador. I was looking at the, the Nations League final going back. I was looking at the Gold Cup final, watching that stuff, watching the atmosphere. And I was like, wow, that was really intense. But now I feel like I may have oversold the atmosphere to Mark McKenzie, who I host a podcast with, a number of others that I spend time with or talk to on a regular basis, of saying, hey, you survived. You survived a CONCACAF game. And then I went back and watched the game that I played against El Salvador in 2009 in a qualifier. And I didn't remember the context of everything. I just remember us drawing. We were down 2-0 with 15 minutes left. They were they were they were throwing the they were putting the ball in the box from everywhere and I just now it started to all come back to me going oh that's Concacaf that is a little bit different than playing an away game in the U.S. and you're playing in this hostile environment the crowd was loud like even back then I think it was 720p like pixelation so it wasn't the highest quality to see but it had that darkness to it Jimmy you know when you play mm -hmm. a night game in Central mm -hmm. America where the lighting isn't great. The pitch mm -hmm. isn't great. And all these factors started to roll back into me. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about just the actuality of that as we start to build out what the lineup should be for the U.S. against this El Salvador uh, side. Obviously, a few changes. Timothy Weah was injured over the weekend. He's not going to be in. So that affects perhaps the lineup that you want to roll out or see Greg uh, rule out. There's rumors of Pulisic not quite being ready after, after testing positive for COVID and not playing a match. He's obviously in camp. Not sure whether they're going to use him. Perhaps you've seen an official statement. Maybe not. Um, but really want to focus on uh, first on, on this U.S. team and then sort of move on to El Salvador where we talk a little bit about what they're going to have to do to get the result they want, what their expectations for this game on. And then we'll do a, a rest of the a whip around on CONCACAF, including Mexico, which we want to make sure we talk quite a bit about as well. Sound good? 
Yeah, of course. I just want to jump in and talk about the shithousery that you're mentioning when you go down and play. And it is different than playing a game in the States where, yes, maybe there aren't the majority of the fans being American, but you still get a taste of it. But when you go down to a different country and they know, especially El Salvador's case, who haven't qualified for a World Cup since 1982. And the last time they were in this last phase of qualifying was back in 2010, which is the game you're alluding to back in 2009 when we were down 2-0. This means everything to this country. I don't think people, I don't even know if you can really even process what that means. They, especially against the U.S., because there's still a bit of, you. this isn't their first sport. You know, we can't lose to the U.S. It doesn't matter how small we are as a country or how many, how many people we have here. We can't lose to them. I mean, they have like 17 other sports that they focus on. We can't lose to them. This is our sport. And so you have a lot of that that's underlying everything. And so what you see on the field is them trying everything they possibly can to get an advantage, whether that's all of a sudden if they get a lead, everybody's a Neymar out there. You touch them and they're rolling around like 50 times. They're wasting time. It could be in the 27th minute. If they're up 1-0, they're already wasting time. The fans are, are encouraging them to waste time. And, and it's that's just on the field. Off the field, I was in Trinidad for a World Cup qualifier. Casey Keller was my roommate. They called our room at 3 in the morning, okay, to try to throw us off. We were in uh, Guatemala City. The players, or the, excuse me, fans were outside of our hotel. They figured out because obviously U.S. soccer tries to do some of the gamesmanship and doesn't really allow people to know where ho which hotel we're staying at. They figured it out, and they played music outside the hotel for I don't know how many hours in the middle of the night to try to throw us off. I mean, it means that much to the people. And I just want to set that up as context because it is ridiculously tough to go down there and get a result and to stay focused for a full 90 minutes because there's something crazy that's going to happen. And you have to, as a group and, and, and as an individual, know how to handle that without, without taking the bait, right? I mean, everybody's been on social media. There's always that one tweet that's going to trigger you that day. Just imagine that when you're playing. And if you take that bait, it could lead to a red card. It could lead to a yellow. It could really put us on our back foot. And that's something we have to avoid. And that's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge for this group because of the roster, there's only six players that have World Cup qualifying experience, and Pulisic doesn't look like he's going to at least start or maybe even travel, which means we're only down to five. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see who we roll out, how we play, and, and how we approach maybe, let's say, the first 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, and Jimmy, I think you made a good point about just the things you can't control. And again, when I was looking back comparing the experience of this team, they are sort of battle-hardened in CONCACAF, having put uh, their, 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 their pride on the line to win uh, regional trophies. Mm -hmm. But now it's different. Now it is a qualifier. Now it is a, more of a pride of, of a nation. And if you go back to the early controversies of this game, this game was potentially going to be moved. They were saying it was going to be moved to the U.S. because of just the rise in, in, in COVID cases in El Salvador. And now they have this game. They have a number of players that uh, we know uh, they've done a good job of, of recruiting the, the last couple dual dual nationals, mm -hmm. Eric Zabaleta, Alex Roldan, uh, who we'll talk about. But for this U.S. side, who do you want to see in this game? I mean, I mean, well, let's, let's start with the goalkeeper. Let's start with the goalkeeper. OK, let's just go line by line. Let's start with the goalkeeper. I think that Matt Turner should be the guy for this particular game. I know Zach Steffen comes in with a little bit more experience and, and obviously playing for Manchester City, where even if he's not the number one, there, he's still getting peppered by some of the world's best players in training every single day. That's going to also get him better. But he's he's been in this a little bit longer. But I feel like Matt Turner's the hot hands. You can tell he's got a ton of confidence, and not that he would lose that if he didn't start. But this is going that's the first big decision I think for Greg Berhalter 
who do I go with here? And if it's not Zach Steffen, I wonder how he'll handle that in particular because he really hasn't done anything to lose the number one spot. It's just that Matt Turner, I feel like, has been a little bit sharper and 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 made those clutch saves when we've need, needed him to make it. And he's got maybe some recency bias, right? Because yeah. we just saw him in in uh, the Gold Cup. But Jimmy, this is this is, and I, I fully agree with you. I'm going with with Matt Turner there. And I like this now because we've got, you know what the national team is like. When you get into the national team, it's not about competing for a spot with your teammates per se, because you're never around long enough. You're never really in full training sessions. you got to have a plan. The coach has to have a plan in place. But if you're going purely on form, I think we're in a unique point now, including a goalkeeper, where Zach Steffen a year ago was, was the one, right? Because it wasn't going to be Brad Guzan because he was sort of, uh, sort of transitioning out. But now you've got these three goalkeepers all at different points. And I think Matt Turner's the one in form. And I do think there's some recency bias, but he's playing. He's got the hot hand. He showed that he can rise to, to a challenge and rise to an occasion. And I think goalkeeper is one of those positions where you can, you can go with uh, a little bit of that rhythm and, and, and hot streak when you don't have a clear and obvious option. You know, I'm with you. We're on the same page. And, and this is going to be an interesting... Uh, Zach Steffen will play and or Matt Turner will play if they don't play in this first one. I think so, that Greg, Greg is going to give one of those two guys one of the games. And it's just a matter of, does he go with Matt Turner against Canada or Zach Steffen against Canada? I think we're going to see a flip-flopping. That's that's my own personal take on that. I know that you know three games in eight days is, is, is a huge and heavy load, especially with the travel, two away games, coming back to the U.S. to Nashville for the U.S. to play against Canada. Uh, do you think even that goalkeeper you've got to uh, rotate the squad? You don't have to. And I actually was surprised when Matt Turner played every single Gold Cup game. I thought, okay, against Martinique or whoever else we're playing against, you know, the kind of the gimme game in our group. Maybe we'll see somebody else. Maybe we'll see a, a, whoever. I can't even remember who the backup goalkeepers were. Sean Johnson or, or Brad Guzan in the in the Gold Cup. But we saw Matt Turner all the way through. So Isn't maybe that a sign, is though? Isn't that a sign that, like, there's a belief where it's like, I I need to know who my goalkeeper is. So I don't want to rotate and now have a pool of five goalkeepers. I know that I've got my three. I want to know which of those three is my one. That that to me is how I read into that. Um, let's go. Let's move on to our our, yeah, our the the back line. Who who do you have in the back line for this one? Obviously, uh, playing I this first it, game. You you mentioned you mentioned uh, already on on the weekend uh, weekend review where you know, you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to play multiple players, but you want to get that first win yeah, no matter yeah. what. So, so I guess it depends on the formation for everybody. I'm kind of curious. And I say this because when I went back and watched a lot of uh, the highlights for El Salvador and a good portion actually of the El Salvador, Mexico game where they gave up a lot of space was out wide. And so I wonder if Greg Berhalter is going to try to take advantage of that by getting Serginho Dest a little higher up the field and in a better starting position, which means I don't think he would put him in a back four. I think you want to get him higher, get him wide uh, as soon as possible, and really be an outlet for us as we try to create uh, some numerical advantages out wide. And, and that's where I think El Salvador is vulnerable. And you can do the same on the left side. And I say that as it sets up a back three for me. Now, the question is, Greg Berhalter definitely has a fondness for Tim Ream. Tim Ream is a good passer of the ball. If he gets isolated 1v1 defensively, I think he's a big liability for us. And we saw that in the Mexico game when we went to a back four in the Nations League final and he went out wide and they scored two minutes later because they just ran at him and, and took a shot and scored. That that gives me a lot of uh, concern, I'd say, for Tim Ream. I want to see a back three of maybe Miles Robinson on one side, uh, John Anthony Brooks in the middle and Mark McKenzie on the other side. I thought that I want to see more of McKenzie and Brooks together. 
and thought Miles Robinson was really kind of our out breakout star in the Gold Cup, keeping the 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 game winner he scored against Mexico uh, to the side. I just thought he got better and better and better as the tournament went along, and. I want to almost like Matt Turner-esque. I want to see that momentum carried on into this one. Like, hey, we continue to trust you. This is a massive game for us. Let's go with that. Now, if he goes to a back four, I don't know. But I would put – I'm going to say the okay, back Jimmy, three. Back Jimmy, three. Jimmy, That's okay. on one side. Anthony Robinson is my other wing back. Okay. Anthony Robinson as your other wing back. Yeah. And then who who were, you, who were your who were I your, said uh, I said Robinson because he played yeah. like the left-sided center yeah. back uh, in the Gold Cup. Yeah. And Sands is on the right. And then John Anthony Brooks in the middle. And then Mark McKenzie mm-hmm. on the right side. <clears throat> Okay, so Mark McKenzie obviously hasn't played a ton of uh, games recently in Belgium. Uh, been in and out, was, was playing really, really well. They went into the Champions League campaign. Hasn't featured uh, a ton, which is, which, is a, which is a worry for me. My question for you is on that back three, and then we'll move on just to keep things moving. What happens when it doesn't work, right? So where do you go back to your back four at that point? Because I don't think the U.S. is, I don't think, that, for me, the U.S. can't confidently play 90 minutes at a back three against El Salvador in El Salvador because if there is gaps and El Salvador can find those gaps, it becomes a very disjointed back three, right? That requires a, a good bit of experience and understanding positionally. So where do you think that that can transition into a back four from that point? Yeah, it could. I think the only concern would then be, are you putting Miles Robinson out wide left, you know, to try to overcome maybe the lack of speed uh, that John Anthony Brooks and or Mark would have in that position. And the, obviously all three of those guys will be playing out of position. So that's why I could see Greg Berhalter playing Tim Ream, who could slot out into that left side if needed, if they wanted to slide into a back four. But again, we saw that in the Nations League final. And it, in, honestly, within five minutes, they had, Mexico had scored once we slid into a back four. It changed. We had Kellen Acosta kind of push out wide to help out as well. So it's tough. The only the only thing I could see about us getting away from a back three and starting in a back four is so that we could have a double pivot of Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta. Yeah. And then you could have Weston McKinney kind of float a little bit, I think, in midfield and just go find the ball, right? And go pick up the ball and not have to worry about his defensive responsibilities right. as much. So it just kind of depends. If you just want to have that single pivot and just have the one, number six, the Tyler Adams in there, that means Acosta's probably on the bench. And I don't know. Kellen Acosta has been uh, quite uh, vital for us for for both. He was vital in the last qualifying campaign in these away games. He was he was busy, had a ton of energy, and that's exactly what you want. But you also need composure, right? And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you had some good points in there. And when I look at Tim Ream, I was going through the lineup, same thing, and I was like, we got to get some experience in here, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. I need a DeAndre Yedlin. I know what he's got, and I know I'm I I much prefer Sergio Dest, but like maybe Dest is my against Canada game. It's funny you say the back back three or back five, by the way. Do you do you think a back three is a more defensive or attacking setup? Because I see this U.S. team much more of an attacking setup in a back three because it's allowing more advanced positions for for some of our skill players and creating different types of spaces and angles uh, for our midfield three versus it being more protection in the back. I think in theory it's more protection at the back, but I've yet to see this U.S. team feel super comfortable in that back three where. It's like, okay, the shifting and the movement, the cohesion of the team, they know the advantages mm-hmm, of that back mm-hmm. three. No, I, I agree with you. That's a great point in terms of comfort level. When we look back at the Nations League final, I'm going to I'm gonna reference that because we had Reem, Brooks, and McKenzie as the back three. Dest was on the left as the wing back. Very quiet that game, if everybody remembers. And when I saw it on paper, I was like, Dest and Pulisic in front of them? Yes, inject this into my veins. And I thought Mexico actually did a very good job of keeping those two in particular 
uh, a little quiet. Not to say they were invisible. They were trying to go find the ball, but but Des couldn't really do what he does. And when he's on the left side, he has a tendency of wanting to cut in with his right. It makes sense. He's a right footer. But that just runs right into the Mexican pressure. El Salvador is not Mexico. So I think that we could take advantage of that. And then we had DeAndre Yedlin uh, as the other wing back in, in the Mexico game as well. So we've tried it. And you're right. To your point, we didn't seem entirely comfortable. And ultimately, in that game, we scored all three goals on set pieces. So it wasn't something we got out of the run of play. It wasn't like we just created – I guess the penalty – you know, the, the winning penalty was created by a good movement and good movement in the box on the run of play. But ultimately, that's not where we generated generated a lot of offense. I don't remember actually us establishing too much of a rhythm in that game. So to your point, a back three might not be something that we're comfortable with. That said, I want to see Serginho Dest as the high wing back on the right side. Anthony Robinson just scored recently for Fulham. I, I feel like he's a ton of confidence. But there's got to be some discipline from both of those players so that we can shift and that takes a little bit of the pressure off the, the central midfield to have to be the guys cleaning up everything that's transitioning back the other way. All right, so let's move on to your your midfield uh, lineup. Uh, who, who do you have in there? Obviously, likely no uh, Pulisic in this one, no Timo Weah. So it starts to change sort of the dynamic of the team and could create opportunities. Um, so if you're talking about a back, so we'll have a central three. Sure, sure. Uh, who, who do you have in that? Okay, so back four, I'll go with the double pivot of Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta. I just think you got two, whoever we go at center back, could be Zimmerman, could be anybody, and you have those two guys in front of you, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for El Salvador to play through the middle. They're going to have to, to go out wide. Uh, but if we go into a, and then Weston McKinney, I think, would be the one that's kind of floating in and around. And like I said, if the ball is out one side, he can go help support that. Or when the ball goes wide, he's very good at crashing the box late. So I like Weston to have a little bit more freedom in that space. Now, if it's uh, back five, then you only have one. I would go Tyler Adams for sure. He's already playing that and doing it well with RB Leipzig, he, even though he does have a partner off to his side. And Weston McKinney, I think, at that point would still be in. But then you'd have to task him with, pick your spots. You know, this isn't as much freedom, but you still have, you still have some because we just don't want to leave Tyler completely alone and isolated the whole time. That way El Salvador, if they establish a rhythm, he could be doing doggies in the middle of the field. So on top of that though, the next line, before we get to the number nine, I would go with Gio Reyna. And because Pulisic, whether he's an option or not, still hasn't played in a while. So he's probably not as sharp as we'd like him to be. You get him back into the team. You save him maybe as a super sub if he does travel. And then you let him start against Canada. So, so I would say Brendan Aronson would be my choice. And the reason I say Brendan Aronson is because when I watch him play, he has this, this urgency to his game. He's not wasting time. He wants to play forward quickly. He wants to break down the other team. As, as, it, there's no dawdling on the ball with Brendan Aronson. And, and that's really impressive for a player of his age that he makes those decisions so quickly. And that's going to be very helpful, I think, for our team because now – players know exactly what the speed of the game is going to be. It's not like, uh, I mean, we played with Freddie Adu. I'll just use Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu would get himself in great spots, very similar to what we see with some of our top players now. But then all of a sudden, he'd wait for the defender to catch up so he could beat him again. You're like, dude, just pass the ball. Just get it off your feet so that we can time our run, so that we can help support the play in a meaningful way. And he would always hold it up. Brendan Aronson is not that. Get it, play it, move. Get it, play it, move. And I love that about him. And it helps, I think, establish a rhythm with the group as well because they know what they're going to get when they play him the ball, that you might get it right back, be ready for it. And, and that's really important. I think Brendan Aronson actually is going to be pushing Gio Reyna and Pulisic throughout this uh, World Cup qualifying campaign. I think he's got that special sauce. And I think a lot of it's because of his urgency when he plays. Now, from a Greg Berhalter perspective, 
maybe you want that coming off the bench because we saw him do that in Champions League qualifying when he came on the, 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 the first leg and the second half of the first leg and he ended up setting up the first goal and scoring the second. So he, he could come in and really kind of when a, t- a team's a little bit tired and sitting back and come in and help unlock that with all that buzzing energy that he has. He's like the new Frankie Haydick, but the attacking side where he's just got so much energy. Like, dude, where does this come from? And then you find out he's, you know, throwing down six cappuccinos or whatever. So, so those are kind of be my picks right now. But, but obviously, Conrad de la Fuente could be a good option. He's looked very sharp so far to start the season with Marseille. Uh, uh, even though Timo I would love to see him out there. It's unfortunate. But we have some other options, and I think that speaks to our depth. Yeah, on Conrad de la Fuente, because I think he's on the same trajectory as we saw with Brendan Aronson, right? When Conrad came in, he played, I think it was against Wales. He looked out of his depth at the national team level. This is a player who spent his entire childhood at Barcelona, right? Getting brought up to the A team, the B team, playing regular matches, doing things on highlight reels that you're like, wow, this is unbelievable. And then didn't look up to the international pace. But now since he's been at Marseille, He's been fantastic, and I don't think he's getting the love from Marseille that he should. I think he should be a, a week-in, week-out starter. Obviously, this is a that's a big club, but is he one that you think you can rely on at this point, or is he still one you want to massage into the team, maybe get him in against Canada or late in a match where he can open up against the team? Because when he runs at players, he can stretch a defense. However, we've yet to see, and I think Brendan Aronson is a good example. You said all the things about him that are great offensively, mm-hmm. but you know he's going to do the same thing defensively. He's mm-hmm. got that engine, that 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 sort of... Uh, pride to play both sides of the ball, and he's not going to sort of be w- what we see with Gio Reyna, who's a pure specialist offensively, isn't going to be as disciplined defensively. And you need that in these games, mm-hmm. right? You can't have, you know what it's like. If, if nine people are pressing at this level with this kind of crowd and this type of atmosphere, El Salvador's going to flick one over, touch one behind, and they're going to all become good players. They break the pressure. Now you're running 40 yards to have to put out a fire. And so do you think Conrad could step up to this challenge? What about uh, uh, Ricardo Pepe as well, who's in the greatest form of any 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 striker we have in the U.S. pool? I would say with regard to Conrad de la Fuente, the reason I didn't start him initially is because I still have this vision of two wingbacks. And I feel like if de la Fuente's out there, he's going to be in the way of, of a bombing forward wingback. So it was more about finding guys that have a natural tendency to drift inside. So I think Reyna and Aronson do that a little bit more than De La Fuente, who likes to kind of come in off the corner and drive into the box. And I feel like he'd run into a Dest, or or Dest would run into him, or Anthony Robinson could potentially run into him, or George Bella, who started against Mexico in the Gold Cup. They would run into the... So I'm just trying to think of it from a spacing perspective, what would make sense. If we're in a back four, then I think De La Fuente makes a little bit more sense as he can pick up the ball and, and run. I think he continues to get more and more confidence. But to your point, yes, of course, I want him uh, to get more regular minutes and be more of a uh, a key player, more vital that they trust on, on a regular basis. And Jorge Sampaoli clearly listens to the podcast, so hopefully he's uh, taking notes on how we feel about Conrad de la Fuente. Now, with regard to Ricardo Pepe and getting up to the number nine spot, Pepe, I'm buzzing, absolutely buzzing. He's with our side. He just scored two goals this past weekend in a Texas Derby. Uh, two goals and an assist in the first half uh, against Austin FC. Austin didn't uh, do themselves any favors with some of the defending and any some of the mistakes they made in the back. But what I like about Pepe is that he's got a good nose for goal. And, and he gets touches off of his feet. And he the, his first goal in particular, under a little bit of pressure, good first touch, back in the net, right? The second one hits nice little volley into the back of the net. He, he's got a lot of confidence right now. So if he started with against El Salvador, I would ne- wouldn't necessarily be surprised. But I also kind of would be surprised because I feel like Josh Sargent has done enough to warrant 
being our guy in this particular group, giving him a chance. He just went to Norwich. He's obviously working his tail off there to try to 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 get a lot of minutes. And and we, when we saw Josh Sargent against, let's say, quote unquote, inferior opponents in the Carabao Cup, he scored two goals. Now, they weren't the most aesthetically pleasing goals, but it gives him some confidence to get out there and, and to hit the back of the net and to be busy. And he kind of, all right, got that early goal out of a system. I just think he's got a lot to prove right now, Josh Sargent. He's clearly trying to prove it at Norwich to get valuable minutes as he fights to get into the starting 11. And that kind of carryover, that mentality could help us against an El Salvador team, which we could argue is kind of like playing a Bournemouth in the Carabao Cup or whoever they played, and, and that you have to fight and scrap and, and continue to make hard runs. I think that's what I liked about Sargent the most was those hard runs he was making to try to find himself in good spots to get on the end of crosses. And I think the more that we can put El Salvador under pressure, uh, the better off we're going to be. And that could lead to a Josh Sargent uh, and his experience, you know, collectively over the last few years and most recently with Norwich, really kind of taking that and, and spinning into something else. And then you can bring on Ricardo Pepe uh, as a super sub if, if, if and when El Salvador gets tired. All right, Jimmy. So I know we're biased. And we, we have that athlete mentality where you're like, focus on ourselves, focus on ourselves. But we can't overlook El Salvador. For this match, other than the uncontrollables for the U.S., which will be atmosphere, it'll be the fans, it'll be uh, the referee, it'll be the pitch, it'll be just the whole world they have to live in there. What's a key focus for El Salvador to beat the U.S.? Uh, is there a single player that you have in mind? Is there is there a, a setup that you have in mind that you think can expose the U.S.? Well, I would say that uh, first and foremost, their goalkeeper, Mario Gonzalez, has to stand on his head like he did against Mexico. They only lost 1-0 to Mexico in the Gold Cup, and they played pretty well. When I went back and looked at their chances, I was like, ah, actually, those, those are really good chances they gave up, and it probably could have been a little worse. That said, I thought El Salvador had some really clean looks on goal as well, and they can hurt you on the counterattack. They have some players that aren't scared, and, and I think they have enough of those players now. I think when we used to play... They had one or two players like, all right, you got to pay attention to, to that guy. And if you can shut him down, the other the rest of the team just doesn't have the quality to punish you if there's any mistakes or if there's any, like a slight gap that they can expose. But now I think they got three or four. Uh, Joaquin Rivas scored two goals against Qatar in the knockout rounds of the Gold Cup. They ended up losing that one 3-2. But, but uh, you know, just their ability to want to come back and fight. They played a 4-4-2 in, in most of their games in this one. I know it morphs into something different as they kind of absorb pressure and when they look to transition. But I think uh, Joaquin Rivas uh, stands out for me. you got to keep an eye on him in particular. I think he's got a lot of confidence. Uh, Eric Zavaleta, who you mentioned, uh, was coming up to the Chivas USA ranks when we were there, so we know him quite well. But uh, he got called in from Toronto FC. They got Alex Roldan, who you brought up as well. He's going to be going up against his brother, Christian, in this particular one. They have, a, they have an American manager, Hugo Perez. Who, who had 73 caps for the U.S. men's national team. Probably doesn't get the respect he deserves given what he did for our country just because he came up in an era where there was not that much on TV and no social media. But if he'd come up now, you'd be like, Hugo Perez is one of the best to ever do it for our country. And he was that talented. And he's gone through the coaching ranks here. And I think he's been a little bit disillusioned with some of the politics that I think exist in, in, in the game in this country. So he went down to Coach El Salvador. He's got his nephew on the team, Joshua Perez, who I grew up in L.A. He used to play with my little brother. This kid was going to be the next big thing. And now he's getting a chance to play for El Salvador, and he's dangerous as well. What I fear the most, actually, Heath, though, outside of the players that I'm mentioning and obviously the goalkeeper having to stand on his head, is just the drive, this, this inner drive to want to beat the U.S. We've seen it. We go down to Guatemala. They know that we're better on paper. They know it. They know that we're going we're gonna to be fitter in a lot of different ways, that we can outlast a lot of their stuff. But can we manage things 
emotionally. And that's where they try to dig at you. And not only that, if they score first, that, as you know, and you, you played in the game that we were mentioning before in 2009, that type of momentum is sometimes hard to slow down. And you need those leaders, as you mentioned. Maybe a Tim Ream is the right guy. Maybe you do find more guys that have more experience in this first one. Because we got to win this first game. I'm sorry, we cannot start World Cup qualifying losing our first game away to El Salvador. It just can't happen. A draw, I would be upset with a draw as well, or disappointed, let's say. But we can't lose this one. We, have, we haven't played a World Cup game in over seven years. And, and the disappointment of 2018, at least for me, is very raw and fresh, even though a lot of those players aren't here on, on this particular roster and aren't going to be moving forward. But we, there's just something that has to happen to, to get this result. And what I love, and I'm just going to jump in really quick and say, what I love, the theme that I saw, even though the Nations League group was different from the Gold Cup group, there was a theme that existed between the two of these groups. And it was, even if we don't play well, we know how to get a result. And I saw that on both, both sides because we could argue if a couple of things didn't go our way, we could have been knocked out of both of those and not been champion. And obviously talking about these World Cup qualifiers in a different way. So, so I like that we have that as our base. And I think everybody's getting around this team because they can see it as well. It's this team spirit that we haven't seen in many, many years. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy. Hi. The only other thing that I would mention <laughs> is Darwin set in. Injured yes. last week, likely mm-hmm. out. I think that's a huge loss for Agreed. them. Obviously, their captain, their leader, their most experienced player that I think uh, will have the most comfort in r- helping their team rise uh, to the challenge. Do you have any betting tips for us today? It's tough. As I've mentioned before with everybody, I'm extremely biased for the U.S. I would never bet against them. So it's it's that's the thing. When I look at the, the, the lines overall, El Salvador is plus 450 to win this one straight up. I think if you're really looking at it from a value play, maybe you'd go with the draw plus 270. The U.S. is minus 187. So for everybody that doesn't know, you have to bet $187 to win 100 or bet $18.70 to win 10. It's just not as sexy to do that. But there's some value there, of course, if you wanted to do that and risk a little bit more. The over-under, they're both the same at minus 118, over two and a half goals, minus 118, under two and a half. You know, what I'm really looking at was who scores first. I think that's super important. And and I think the U.S. are going to try to push to score first, especially in the first half, to try to quiet the crowd, get everything under control. That's minus 143 for them to score first. If you think El Salvador is going to score first, the value there, especially in the first half, is plus 175. It, it's it's tough. It's tough. I, I, uh, I don't know where you're leaning towards this. I mean, what's your score? Let's work backwards, Heath, because I'm kind of curious about your prediction, and then I'll give it give give you mine. But But... What do you what do you think the score is going to be? Just from experience, I think you're looking at one one, two two, low scoring uh, affair. I don't think this gets out of control at any point. It's too there's too much. Jimmy, you know what these games are like. There's so much angst in them that a one a, a one nil lead for either team. Someone wants to lock it all down and go. Okay, it's one nil. We're still in it, right? The U.S. could mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. behind. I remember a lot of these games where you're like, "Well, we're still in it. We just need one chance." Eventually, they're going to open up. We're going to score that one chance. We'll take our point because we know we can win these games at home. And so I always lean towards the the low scoring draw in these matches, and uh, because they happen time and time again, the U.S. has successfully or has has been successful scoring uh, late in games. Uh, and, and these qualifiers is just stay in it, wait for your one chance and, and, and run, do a little smash and grab, run away with a point back for your home games. Okay. No, I, I the draw is so tricky. It, but that's where I think there's a lot of value. I think the U.S. are going to win by one goal. So now it's up to you, everybody at home. Do you think they're going to get a clean sheet here? Because if they do that, that's plus 119 for them to get a clean sheet. If you think that both teams are going to score, and I'm leaning kind of towards a 2-1 to the U.S., 
that is plus 250. Uh, if you think both teams are going to score and it's a draw, plus 450. So there's some good value there. and uh, Or to win to nil. If you want to win to, to nil, that's plus 160. If you just say USA to get a clean sheet, it can be a draw as well. But I don't see a 0-0 in this one, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah it's, this is, it's, it's hard for me because my heart gets in the way and you should never... You got to be as practical as possible when you're, you're hitting the betting lines. That's fair. That's fair, Jimmy. Well, we're going to take a quick break. If you're watching this on YouTube, we'll continue right through. If you're listening to this on audio... We'll come back in a minute and we'll continue our talks about these CONCACAF qualifiers beginning with Mexico. We'll be right back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. There's a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Time to move on to Mexico. Obviously mm-hmm. reduced to a single game ban, uh, fan ban at, at Azteca. Originally it was two. There was some sort of loophole where both the men and the women have to pay that price um, for, for no fans, which gets them to those two games. I think that's at least how I read it. Um, oh, Raul Jimenez. I was, you know, oddly enough, and, and, and no Chucky Lozano, I was reading about this, and both of them had such crazy injuries that I was so caught up in the summer of soccer that I I I I, I kind of just forgot about just the the extents uh, the extensiveness of those injuries. And so when I was looking up Israel Jimenez coming in, he's obviously Premier League, not being you know these red listed countries that have high COVID cases or high risk COVID um, uh, kind of trajectories. Uh, I, I, all I could find was that there was all these quotes that was like he's just happy to still be here, like lucky to still be here from from the injury that he had and things like that. And it really put it into perspective for me. And obviously, that's not what I want to focus on. But I started to go through this this Mexico side and realize how much depth they have. But they are missing some key players going into these these first couple matches. What's your initial take on this Mexico team um, and the roster that they're putting together for for this first round of qualifiers? Yeah, it's it's. It's tough. No, I mean, not only are they missing Raul Jimenez and, and uh, Lozano, uh, Diego Lainez still hasn't played after his injury in the bronze medal match of the Olympics. Hector Herrera, who was uh, laughably, I mean, I think he's a terrific player, but he should not have been the player of the tournament in the Gold Cup when the U.S. did everything they needed to do. That should have gone to an American player, in my humble opinion. So he's out. Uh, Hector Moreno, who we know, a uh, great guy and a stalwart for them in the back line. Has has yet to make his debut with Monterey this season, so so it's they've they're missing some guys, man. And oh, I wish know, we were playing them. I wish we were playing. Them I honestly, this would have been when a, they're down. You know, this is this would have been a great time to play against Mexico. That said, I think you and I are players that took advantage of when our stars were hurt, and that gave us minutes to go out there and kind of prove ourselves. And I'm sure there's plenty of players in Mexico and playing for the Mexican national team that are going to be kind of uh, chomping at the bit to get their opportunity. Now, without Jimenez, 
without without uh, Chicharito, of course, and and uh, Lozano. You got Tecatito, who's going to have to step up and be the guy. I thought he was pretty good uh, during his time over the summer to to maybe take more responsibility under Tata Martino, the manager. Uh, Funes Mori, I think he's got to do a little bit more if he's going to get in there and really kind of displace Raul Jimenez as the as the number nine for Mexico moving forward. Uh, Henry Martin plays for Club America. He's coming back uh, with a pr- pretty good performance in the Olympics for, for them. Uh, Alexis Vega, a uh, player from Chivas Guadalajara, who did well for them in qualifying for the Olympics. I mean, he's a special player as well. And he he's good. He's tricky. He can create space. He's got some ideas. You know, I always feel like he's trying to solve all the problems that we're throwing at him, and he makes those decisions very quickly. So I like, I like Vega a lot. So they have some options up top. Now it's just a matter of can Tata Martino get them on the same page as quickly as possible. And this is going to be... This is going to be an interesting one. Now, we talk about Mexico, but they're playing against Jamaica, who are, are suffering from the ban. Mikel Antonio can't come in, all these players that they want to bring in. I feel bad for Jamaica because they have the players that could make a good run and maybe getting that third spot and qualify. I think it's maybe. 11 players, by the way. It's they crazy. Had, they had three or four, not including Mikel Antonio for Premier League, the rest are championship players. I mean, you're talking about a, a full squad, It feels basically. It feels unfair. I don't know how how much you want to wade into the waters of this this travel ban or or all these rules that are coming out. And I understand that these clubs they pay their paychecks, but there's something about playing for your national team that is unlike anything a club experience can offer to you. And and to potentially when you look at Jamaica and they look around and they see everybody on the roster, like, yo, we got a squad. Our team is good. You know, like this is. We can make a run at this. We could maybe finish in the top four. And obviously the fourth place in, in CONCACAF goes into a playoff. But even then, we're not scared. We could take somebody over two legs. Now, Canada, I think, has really kind of started to own the number three spot behind U.S. and Mexico. But Jamaica's got to be thinking Costa Rica, not the same. Honduras, not the same. Panama, not the same. We could get in there and be the fourth team. This is really handcuffs them to, to potentially drop points in all three of these matches, especially against a vulnerable Mexico team. It feels really harsh on Jamaica, and, and I wish, obviously, that the pandemic wasn't happening. But I just feel like, didn't they figure out how to play these tournaments over the summer? Can't there be some of these rules that existed then? And all of a sudden, you start to realize it's because the clubs are, are playing now, and they don't want to risk all their investment and all these players and, and take the chance that we, they can miss these players for, for a significant amount of time. Because I saw Ole Gunnar come out, the manager of Manchester United, and say, well, you know, if we let him go... Then when they come back, they got to quarantine for 10 or 14 days in a hotel and can't train, which I think is BS. I think they can train on their own at the least. It's not going to be like a complete drop off. But then once they get back and start to get back to match fitness, they got to go on international break again. And it's a bit of a vicious cycle. So I can I can see where they're coming from. But to take away the opportunity to represent your country. God, that's just that's a dick move, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's really it's 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 really hard, right? Because you could at the club level, they would just move games. Right. right. If there was all these, and we saw it, we saw it last year where it's just like, whether it's champions league or other matches where it's like, I've, I've, Hey, I've got, I've got no players, uh, right. any chance that we can move this down the road a little bit and they'll do it. Um, and, and I think that's just really unfair, but like you said, it's a triple fixture window. Where do you find that window again? Okay. Maybe you move it to the playoff round and you can have a few of those things and you bump things further down the line, but it just gets really complicated. And like you said, it's a vicious cycle. We're talking about three, 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 and like, Two and then three is in like total windows. Maybe I'm adding one somewhere in there, but it's a it's a lot uh, going on. And so, uh, Jimmy, and, and by the way, for anybody who knows, all those away matches you can catch uh, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Uh, so make sure you have your notifications on. Uh, Want to make sure that's easy for you to find to know that you can catch uh, a number of these games throughout World Cup qualifying. 
Jimmy, let's, let, any final thoughts on, on this Mexico-Panama matchup? Um, and then we'll go down the line on your predictions for, for uh, the remaining matches. Yeah, I would say that uh, Mexico's going to have to do the business. Uh, them losing to or, or not getting the results in all three points against the Jamaica team that's at full strength would be very much like us losing to Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> C's team to not qualify for the World Cup. It's just I don't see it happening for them, uh, especially at Azteca. They need to get a result. Whether the fans are there or not, I don't think it should make any difference. But that was just such a great opportunity for Jamaica to go to Azteca without any fans and try to get a result. And if they had the full team, I think we'd be sitting here going, you know, I think Jamaica could steal these points from Mexico, but I don't see it happening now Jimmy, without, without 11 players. Jimmy, yeah. I'm hearing the betting lines uh, are kind of crazy for this Mexico-Jamaica one, which just shows you that it's uh, how, how much the pendulum has swung the other way. Yeah, Mexico's minus 800, which is which I don't see lines like that when I look at Caesar Sportsbook very often, and that's only when Man City's in the fourth round of the FA Cup and they're playing like eighth division Shrewsbury Town or whoever it is, and you're like, all right, you know that's that's pretty one sided. So to see that in a World Cup qualifier minus 800 is pretty ridiculous. Plus 550 for the draw and plus 1800. If you think Jamaica can pull off the miracle. You just bet ten bucks, you win one hundred and eighty, or bet one hundred to win eighteen hundred. I mean, that's that's up to you. But that's uh, a fun one. That's a fun. It's, one. It's a fun one if you want to keep the the stakes low. That's definitely a fun one to throw a flyer out there. But but I think when we start to run through all these games here, the home teams have to get something out of it. They 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 can't miss out on this opportunity not only to get points at home, but also to really establish themselves in the first game of World Cup qualifying. You don't want to lose points you don't want to already be behind and now you're scraping the rest of the way it really kind of sets the tone for for the rest of the of the games even though i know there's a lot this time around because we've opened it up to eight teams instead of the the famous hex we're up to the ocho now so there's going to be 14 games in total but but still you just you just want to get off on the right foot especially because everybody's dealing with these disadvantages because of the pandemic all right jimmy canada versus honduras who do you got i got canada for sure uh, this game could be played anywhere, even in San Pedro Sula and Honduras. And I'd still think I'd go with Canada. I really like what John Hertzman's wow. done with the team. I think they've got a little bit more backbone. They've gone to Honduras before to try to get a World Cup qualifying spot back in the day. They they didn't make it happen. I remember them losing 2-1 when they, they were in charge of that one for a little while. They're just a different side. And I think they have a different identity. I think they have a lot of belief in themselves. And when you add Alfonso Davies to the mix, Jonathan David to the mix, they missed a lot of players in the Gold Cup, and I still thought they were really impressive in almost every single game, and they deserved more than they got in the 1-0 loss to the U.S. in particular. I like Canada a lot. I think they want to prove that they're the third best team in the region behind the U.S. and Mexico and uh, potentially on par with those teams. But because they're at home, I, my, my, my sentiments remain the same. They need to go out, and they need to establish this right away. I, anytime I reference Honduras, Costa Rica, and Panama, and I've said it before, they're in that transitional phase where their older players haven't aged out yet and their younger players just aren't ready yet to accept that responsibility. The U.S. was there for a little while. I would argue in that spot during when, when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. I think it's going to be a real battle between those three countries in particular as to who can still kind of get the most and squeeze the most juice out of their older players to maybe make that one last run. Yeah. to the World Cup. This sounds crazy, but Canada has made the most because they have Canadian teams in Major League Soccer. They have made the most out of that development, whereas they don't take foreign player spots in those domestic teams. And whereas Central America, I think, has now fallen up uh, having to compete against Argentina, Brazil for their top young players to come to the U.S. And I think that's boxed out a number of these players from the next phase of their development. It's not a knock on the Honduran League or the Panamanian League or other opportunities. Some of them are playing abroad. But I think that that has changed and shifted the dynamic. And I think 
similar with the U.S. and and uh, now with Canada. My biggest fear with the U.S. with this group was like insanely talented, world class youth players playing on this U.S. men's national team. But do they know? Do they have that fight of like we don't care, we will get it done? And I think the U.S. has shown that throughout the summer of saying let's roll up our sleeves and let's get it done, and that gives me a, a level of confidence. Same goes with Canada. Canada always had talented players, Mm -hmm. but there was some sort of issue. And now they've got this sort of like, we are going to make it very, very hard for you. We don't care if it's pretty. We don't care if it's ugly. We'll try to play. But if the game doesn't give us that, we'll knock it into the corner, fight, scrap for everything. We'll get our chances. And I think that traditionally has been a good recipe for qualifying in CONCACAF. That discipline over everything, Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. that mentality over everything where just Trust the process. You will get your few chances because that's how I remembered it. I don't remember ever once going down for an away game. Home games are different, but going for an away game and feeling like, let's play them off the pitch. It was fight, 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 get Mm -hmm. your chance, get out of there, come back, win your home games. And there was a recipe. There was a math equation that gets you into a World Cup. Quickly, Jimmy, Panama against Costa Rica. Yeah, I think that's going to be a draw. I think we have two teams kind of fighting that identity crisis that uh, they're currently in. You know, they're both going to be missing some players, but ultimately I like the draw here plus 190. I'm going to throw everything, though, into a, a parlay parte, as I like to say, Ooh. the La Fiesta Parliesta here. And I like Canada and Mexico to win at home. I got the draw between Panama and Costa Rica because one of these four games is going to be a draw. And I think it's this one. I like the U.S. to win as well. That if um, so, yeah, U.S., Canada and Mexico all winning the draw between Panama and Costa Rica. You put uh, 100 bucks on that six. 667 in return. Mm. So I'm just going to have a little fun. I'll put 10 bucks on it and see if I win 66. But but that's what I'm looking at right now. And I think it's going to happen because to your point, you got to win your home games. That's that's one part of the equation, special sauce in, in qualifying. You got to win your home games. And then and then secondly, to your point too, it's less about tactics. It's less about, I mean, technique is important, of course, and tactics are important. But you, if you're not matching the intensity of your opponent, going to be a long night for you and that's going to think to be the biggest cha- one of the biggest challenges for the u.s and all these teams going into it because yeah it might be easy on paper but once the games kick off it's a different beast entirely love it jimmy closing thoughts i've got none i feel like i've just talked everybody's ear off enjoy the games everybody we'll catch you afterwards yeah and as you know jimmy and i will be with you throughout the world cup qualifying obviously more matches this week will be here live as a uh, live recap after the u.s takes on uh, the all of, all of this uh, CONCAF region, but starting with El Salvador. And uh, Jimmy and I will see you guys soon. USA, 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 USA. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts